Between the kids being home and hosting, everything in our house gets used up in summer. With Instacart, I can save money by stocking up on all my favorite summer brands. I save time by getting everything delivered in as fast as an hour. And I save myself a sink full of dirty dishes by stocking up on paper plates for the annual summer cookout. Save more on summer essentials? Spend more time enjoying summer. Add summer to cart. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Back at the final four is not on the schedule. He is Rod, I am Cameron, and we finally get to talk about something other than Wisconsin and Northwestern, or uh, I'm sorry, Minnesota and Northwestern tonight. Um, with MSU traveling to Madison, um, Badgers 15 and two overall. Rod six and one in the Big Ten. They've got some uh, pretty nice wins. Houston, um, they've done some good work in the Big Ten. I'll be They've uh, beaten um, Ohio State, Iowa. Um, pretty tough Wisconsin team this year. What's Purdue your thoughts? Purdue as well, I think. Purdue, yeah, Purdue on yeah. the road at Mackey. Yeah. Um, look, I, I'd be lying if I said I saw this coming. And I guess, I guess what it should be an indication of is that um, <laughs> we should learn our lesson and underestimate Wisconsin at our peril. Mm-hmm. Um, last year, I would say other than Michigan state, Wisconsin was the most disappointing team in the big 10. They were coming off a big 10 championship. They were co-champions with MSU and Maryland in the year where we didn't have the tournament. Mm-hmm. Um, and they brought everybody back. And so my thought was, well, they're the obvious pick to win the league in the preseason. And that looked decent early on, but as the year went along, that, that did not follow. And again, they weren't quite, their season wasn't, wasn't quite as much a struggle as Michigan State's, but it wasn't a lot better. Mm-hmm. And certainly not considering everything that they had coming back, expectations, et cetera. Now it came out in the off season that, there was a lot of dissension between a lot of those veterans and the coaching staff, Greg Gard. And that was surprising to me in a sense, one sense it was one sense it wasn't. It was surprising in one sense because those guys had all been around for so long and you never really heard anything about this mm-hmm. on the level that it wasn't so surprising. Again, people may forget going back to that year where they tied for the league championship. They had a kid named Kobe King people may have forgotten about because it's been a while now but if you go back three seasons he was their best player and he quit the team mid-season and there was a lot of it was kind of murky but what came out of it is there was some dissatisfaction with Greg Gard and the way he related to players Mm -hmm. and so on that level you'd say okay well maybe not so surprising that there there still was kind of a fractured relationship so you put all that together with the fact that they had one starter coming back, Brad Davison, who had, I'm going to, I'm going to guess maybe playing in the big 10 until we're all on the ground. <laughs> um, this is year five for him. Uh, he took a COVID year. I, I, to be serious, I think I actually, thank God this is his last season. Um, but, but he's the only starter coming back and Davison has been a nice player, but he's not ever been a guy that, that you would think, well, he's the linchpin of a 
a very, very good team that you can build everything around. You know, mm-hmm. he hadn't been that. So I think it was reasonable to expect that they were going to take a step back. And maybe unlike some other years where they've been hit with these kind of personnel losses, you didn't see young guys coming through that looked like obvious candidates to become very good players. Well, boy, was that wrong. Yeah. Um, Johnny Davis, who was a good player as a freshman in a role off the bench, has become probably the best player in the nation. I think mm-hmm. I think he would be the favorite for National Player of the Year right now. Yeah. If you if you took that vote. So he's gone from productive young reserve to dominant individual player. But what's been the the key, I think, for them, besides the fact that they have a go to player in Davis that nobody saw coming to this level, um, is that the guys around him have also been maybe a little better than expected. I mean, we'll get into it, but guys like Tyler Wall, Uh Davison has been a little bit more productive than any other year in his career the young big men none of them are stars but they've kind of you know pieced together decent play inside you know so you put all of these pieces together and what you get to is wisconsin being a team that is right now right at the top of the conference you know along with illinois and michigan state they're the only three teams that only have one loss in the league so they're in it. And you mentioned the non-conference wins. The Houston win is actually even more impressive than I think it's going to look like at the end of the year because Houston's still playing well, but uh-huh. Houston has lost their top two guards since that Wisconsin game. When Wisconsin beat them, they were seen as a potential Final Four team again, mm. you know, just like last year. And um, – I don't think that's going to be the case. I don't think they're going to be quite as good as they were, but that, that Wisconsin win over Thanksgiving was hugely impressive over them. So yeah, you put it together. I don't know that there are many teams, if anybody out there that has a resume that's better. I don't know if there's anybody that's playing better right now than Wisconsin. Now I, I did see one thing that's important to note about them. And maybe it's part of the reason why, as we're going to get into in a second, their metrics are good, but not blow your doors off good. Yeah. They are not blowing people out. They've won nine games this year by six or less, including their most recent game where they, they went into Evanston and held off Northwestern and beat them by six. Mm-hmm. Now, you can look at that two ways. You could say, well, that's a sign of a team that knows how to win. You know, games are close, but they disproportionately come out on the positive side of them. That's true. That's a good trait to have. The negative side would be truly, really, really, really good teams. Championship-level teams tend to win by bigger margins more frequently than we've seen Wisconsin do. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. It's it's an interesting team because you can't argue with the record. You can't argue with the resume. But as we're going to talk about it, when you drill down into some of the numbers, you see that this isn't a bad team, but it's, again, it's not a blow your doors off. They don't do a lot of things that you uh, have come to expect with great teams. Like they don't Mm -hmm. really, they don't do anything like shoot the three the way Michigan State does, Um, you know, other than turnover or limiting turnovers. That's the one thing that they are elite at. Yeah. But other than that, they're not a great shooting team. They're not like a spectacular 
obviously strong defensive team in any way. Uh, they're not a great rebounding team. There's nothing that stands out, but yet you look at the total picture and say, oh, it's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're, I mean, Michigan State's 24th in efficiency on Ken Palm. They're 25th. Yep. So yep. we're not talking about light years away here, um, but they are balanced. 29th on offense, 31st on defense. Yeah. Um, as you said, the turnovers, they're just strong with the ball. That's the really only thing you can say that's a true strength. They don't get stolen. Yeah. They don't get uh, turnovers. Third, third in the country. Third yeah. in the country. So they're right. You know, we've seen a steady diet of this, it seems, where it, it's just like every Big Ten opponent. It, it, Michigan State is such an outlier in this conference mm-hmm. in some ways. They're not the only team, but we – we seem to have a dis for a major conference. We seem to have a disproportionately high number of teams that are really, really good in uh, limiting turnovers. And it's not just the teams at the top of the of the standings. You know, Northwestern mm-hmm. has been a top ten team in that category. Uh, Penn State, I think, has been okay there. You know, there've been other. Oh, I'm sorry, Minnesota. Minnesota. Yeah. Minnesota's the one who's been really, really good. So it's not even just those teams at the top of the standings, but. It just seems very frequently we're talking about this, and Wisconsin's another example of it. <laughs> and as if we didn't already have turnover problems. Um, I, but the weird thing, Rod, is they're really not a good shooting team. 31% no. from three, which is 270 in the country, 200 yeah. Uh, from two. Yeah, and, and it it's it's interesting because, you know, as I said, they they've got this one great player a pretty good second option, and then a bunch of guys around them that have done a decent job. But there aren't really any dead-eye shooters mm-hmm. in this group. You know, They've got some okay shooters like Davis, Davison. Those guys are solid. There's nobody shooting the way Malik Hall or Tyson Walker is. Um, you know, I, I would venture to say they don't have a shooter as good, even though he's been in a slump the last two games. They don't have a shooter that I would put in the same category as Gabe Brown either. Mm. Um, and that's from the perimeter. Inside, you know, what they don't, we're used to Wisconsin, I think, having very efficient big men. Yeah. Who can do good work. They don't, they don't really have a guy who's just a dump it into him on the blocks and go get a bucket. They don't have that really. They've got some okay players, but yeah, it's it's a it's not a great shooting team, which is one of the things that maybe gives you hope in this game. Yeah, uh, and they're not going to get many offensive rebounds. Hopefully, uh, well, two hundredth in percentage. Yeah, let's <laughs> but, hold off. But yes, uh, the the one thing they do do fairly well is they shoot free throws well, and they get there a lot. Eightieth in, yeah. in free throw attempts. Yeah, that and that's you know that's the thing. When you go through this profile, in a lot of ways, this is just it's the blueprint of Wisconsin basketball from about 2001 or maybe even before that. You could even say there were some of these elements in the Dick Bennett era. Certainly the Bo Ryan guard era. This team is kind of it. Now they've had teams that have been much much better shooting teams in this one. And that's normally when you look at them and you say, well, that's, you know, a final four contender. I, I've seen some people start to talk about them in, in that breath. I can't get there yet yeah. Uh, because of that, because of that. I think that's going to be a problem. Um, but the other things, 
you know, they don't turn it over. They don't offensive rebound because their priority is floor balance and getting back Mm -hmm. to not give up transition baskets. So they don't get a lot of second chances, but they do draw a lot of fouls and they get to the free throw line a lot. and They hit a pretty good rate. That's all standard issue, blueprint, Madison stuff. Uh, so on defense, they they really don't do anything great, but kind of yeah. everything decent, yep. which is the thing, I guess. Seventy uh, ninth in defense rebounding. Um, yeah, a little surprising. The normal mo for Wisconsin is to be a little better than that, um, and they're not. So they're they're not you know they're they're not a horrible defensive rebounding team, but they're giving up a you know seventy ninth. That's you're giving up a decent amount of second chances, mm. uh, and they're not giving up a, a ton of free throws. Only seventy seventh right. in the country. Again, what does Wisconsin basketball do? They don't get called for fouls. Mm-hmm. Notice I didn't say they don't commit them. <laughs> I said oh. they don't get called. Let's hope we don't have Bobrovsky for this one. Um, <sighs> 142 in effective field goal percentage. Yeah, um, mediocre. You know, the great Wisconsin teams are re- at least really good defending the two. You know, kind of those pack line principles. They'll jam up the lane. They don't let you get good shots from two. But that's not this team. Mm-hmm. Uh, the one thing that they are fourth in the country in, uh, which is basically completely luck 63 percent uh teams are shooting free throws against them yeah maybe that's our answer it 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 probably in all seriousness it's helping because and if you if you then take take this into account what i mentioned a while ago that they've had this knack for winning close games Mm -hmm. if you're not fouling people a lot anyway and then when they do get to the line they're not cashing in that's going to matter. I mean, in close games, figure if you have a, a one or two point swing from what would otherwise be expected if they if teams were shooting, say, 70 percent mm-hmm. from the line against you, um, that can matter. You know, that can matter in close game situations. So that's an example, though, of, I think, one of the ways in which you can look at this and say, OK, They've probably been, in terms of their record, outperforming a little bit relative to what they actually are as a team. That's a good example of where where you could get to in this kind of analysis Mm -hmm. because you'd say, hey, free throw defense, quote unquote, (laughs) is not a real thing. And, And that's dependent. You know, maybe your schedule is fortunate enough that you were just playing a ton of teams that don't shoot free throws well. But over the course of 30 games, especially in a league like the Big Ten, playing two-thirds of your games in the Big Ten, you figure that's going to even out. You're going to play a number of teams that actually do shoot free throws well. Mm. And you would figure that eventually some of those teams are actually, in fact, going to do that. So that may be something that we see ending up, you know, in in kind of a regression to the mean. But – it's it's interesting at least when you see somebody that's that extreme, you know that they're they're <laughs> yeah. what they're fourth. You said nationally, yeah. yeah. That's that's an entirely a luck number. What isn't a luck number though, but what makes that even more impactful in a way is that they don't give up a lot of attempts. That's repeatable. 
Mm. They don't put teams on the line very much, but then even the few chances you're getting, you're not cashing in. That's that's kind of luck. Uh, and then they're still slow, 234 in overall tempo, um, 207 in on the offensive possession. Yeah, it's, it is worth giving credit where credit's due, though, because you will hear announcers, and I'm going to guess we hear it at least once in the broadcast on Friday because I've heard it in other Wisconsin games where they'll, you know, Johnny Davis will make a play quickly in a possession. And they'll say, oh, Wisconsin's playing much faster this year than previously. There's some truth to that. Uh, I would have to go back and look to be certain of this, but my, my recollection is they've generally been a little faster under guard than they were under Bo Ryan in mm. general. But it hasn't been, like, massively so. And this year is an example of this. Yes, they're playing a little faster they're still in the bottom half of teams in the country in terms of tempo. So let's not confuse them with, you know, Michigan state, for example, but, um, but it's not old style. Bo Ryan squeeze 29 seconds out of every possession, Wisconsin either. Mm -hmm. Uh, So if you look at the starters, Rod, Brad Davison, six, three, super senior, 15.1 points per game, which is a career high. Um, he's yeah. shooting 40% uh, from the floor, 35 from 386 from the line. Yeah, you know, the, the point total is a little higher than we've seen it before. The efficiency numbers, you know, how he's shooting is kind of on par, mm-hmm. you know. So he's been essentially what he's been for his, pretty much his whole career. Because uh, if you remember, he started out very well as a freshman. Yeah. Kind of an injury-riddled team. He He had... I thought he was going to be a better player than he ended up being. I thought he was going to emerge into one of those guys that by the time he was a junior or senior, he was a first team all league guy. And just he, what did come true is I thought he was going to be a pain in the ass for everybody in the conference. That part definitely happened. Not for positive, not always for positive reasons, but it definitely happened, but he didn't quite become this year. I would say in terms of the point totals, is more of what I had expected him to be, say, two by two years ago. Mm-hmm. And it didn't really happen. He just never took that next step up. He is with this team in part because he's a veteran and they don't have a lot of that. Um, and they just need somebody to do that. So he's become the second guy to Davis in terms of shot taking. And, you know, he's a guy that you can't just forget about him by any means. I mean, he's Mm. a good enough shooter that you can't do it. But yet, he's never really been a guy that on any kind of consistent basis would come in and and just kill you as an offensive player. You know, he's just kind of been, okay, he's going to go two for five or two for six from three every game. You know, that kind of guy. And that's all right, but uh, he's never really been um, a great playmaker. He's he's statistically he's the best playmaker on a team that that really isn't as assist driven as some others hmm. in the conference. You know, he's second on the team in assists at 34, which is just two a game. Uh, the leader is Davis, who's got 39. So you see that you know Michigan State we have two guys that are above four and a half a game mm-hmm. in Walker and Hogarth. So it's not the same kind of thing. Uh, but he he doesn't commit a lot of turnovers either. He's got better than a two to one ratio, so he's solid there. And then defensively, you know what you're getting. I mean, 
he's solid. He's also going to do some stuff that's going to drive you crazy watching it. You know, cheap shot stuff. He's still doing that kind of thing. Charge drawing quote in heavy quotation marks. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a, they he's did a crack fr- down sure, on that a little bit last year though. And they still do. You, you still see him. He doesn't get the benefit of the doubt with that stuff the way he did early in his career. There definitely was a move. And I think what happened, you'll hear, you'll probably hear an announcer refer to it during the game on Friday in this front as well. Uh, there are just some cliches that come into play. You tend to hear about this guy, but uh, one of them, I think, which has got some accuracy to it, is that officials in the league at a certain point, or the guys who do Big Ten games, we don't actually have Big Ten officials, but the guys who tend to do conference games uh, were tired of getting called out. Where they were, Who they were being called out by was not heads of officiating or schools necessarily. It was television mm-hmm. because replays would show frequently that Davison was baiting them into calls and that when you saw it on replay, you could see, oh, he was flopping. Mm-hmm. He was falling backward. He didn't, that was not a charge and we called it. And so what started to happen is you started to see it going the other way with him. Mm-hmm. And there is still some of that, but, but the fact is he still draws a decent amount of charges. I haven't looked up the stats to see where he is, but I'll bet he's still among the, the higher level guys in the league in that regard. He still, pulls a lot of shit you know just gamesmanship to the nth degree mm-hmm. and if you're a wisconsin fan i guess you like it because uh, he's on your your side wearing your uniform but nobody else in the league does and i think that i don't think i'm getting out on a limb here by suggesting that there are going to be 13 teams in the conference are going to be very glad when march comes and brad davison is out of eligibility <laughs> yeah because he's just been kind of a – he's not good for the sport. I mean, I don't say that lightly, but there are a few guys over the years. Grayson Allen was not good for the sport. Mm. You know, you can be a guy who engenders opposition fan dislike and not be that. Scott Skiles is, to this day, I think the most hated <laughs> player I've ever seen in this conference. By the time he was a senior, Scott Skiles, when he would go into an opponent an opponent's arena – it was like blood sport <laughs> and he used it. He used it. And I know some of our listeners at least are old enough to remember exactly what I'm talking about. He used it as fuel. Mm-hmm. I mean, he played some of his greatest games on the road. You know, you did, you hated him. Great. Bring it on. He was going to stick it up your ass, mm-hmm. and, but Scott Skiles didn't do any of this crap. There was yeah. none of the Grayson Allen, none of the Brad Davison gamesmanship stuff. He was hated because, he was an aggressive, uh, I'll, I'll call it as it is, an aggressive, small, unathletic white guard who those guys tend to be lightning rods. That's mm-hmm. just reality, I think. And the fact is, though, he was an extremely great college basketball player. Pretty good pro, too. Yeah. Um, these guys are not in that class. And the reason they're disliked is not really because they're effective players it's because they're assholes mm-hmm. that's i mean that's just a call on a spade a spade that's how i feel about it. brad davison's an asshole he does stuff he does stuff as did grayson allen that the real problem with it is he will do stuff that is dangerous for opponents he does stuff that can get other guys hurt mm-hmm. 
And, you know, if it was if it was just the flopping, okay. Like Dukes had a million guys like that, right? Yeah. But yeah. that's different. That's different than doing stuff, you know, tripping guys or, you know, this, this kind of yanking a guy's arm the to make it appear punches. as if he's wrapped. Yeah. All that stuff. It's nonsense. It doesn't have a place in the in sport, in my opinion. And as I say, I think there'll be 13 schools that will be very glad to see him gone. Uh, and then you got Chucky Hepburn, 6'2 freshman uh, from Nebraska. Hepburn started uh, every game. It's averaging 7.2 points a game, tied for second in assists, uh, 36 from the floor, 29 from three, 79 from the line. Yeah, I, you know, he's okay. Um, I don't see Wisconsin's had young guards start before. If you remember Demetric Trice got early opportunities because of injuries and right away you saw signs that, Hey, this guy's going to be pretty good, you know, and they've had some others over the years that were, that were similar. I don't know that I feel quite the same way about Hepburn. I think he can be a productive player, but I haven't seen any signs yet that make me feel like, Hey, this is. This is a guy who's going to be a real problem as he matures. Mm-hmm. You know, I haven't, he's okay shooting the ball. He's okay running the offense. Again, they're not, a, they're not usually an offense that it relies on ball dominant guards. So he's nominally the point guard, but that doesn't mm-hmm. really have the same kind of meaning it has at say Michigan state. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, the three point shooting, the games I've watched, uh, I'll go at least that far. Uh, he's tended to be kind of streaky and where he's 29% from three. So that's, that's not a number that really makes you think, wow, weapon, you know, he's just been, you know, consistent in what he's given them and given them a little bit of scoring punch, decent defense, decent ball handling and playmaking. And that, you know, that's about, that's about what they've got. Mm. Uh, and then Johnny Davis, who's just exploded this year, six, six sophomore, um, 22.1 points a game, seven and a half rebounds, uh, both high, uh, for the team, 44 from yeah. the floor, 36 from three eighty from the line. And he is just, yeah. been, just burying people. Yeah. I, I think what makes him really difficult to deal with is he can do, he can do damage pretty much every way you want. He's a very strong guy for the position physically. I think he's put together pretty well, and he knows how to use his strength. So around the basket, inside the arc, he can be tough to deal with. Hmm. You know, he can physically go through people. He's an extremely high-level athlete. They haven't had a lot of guys like him. It seems that periodically when they do have a guy like this, it stands out because, and we end up talking about Sam Decker was kind of that way. Hmm. I remember talking about that. I was like, well, um, who was the kid – Oh God! I think he was. Uh, I think he left a couple of years ago. They had a they had a six four guy from Ohio who was a really really explosive athlete in recent years. I'm drawing a blank on his name. Uh, but every once in a while they'll have a guy like that, and it stands out. In a way, it doesn't in a place like Michigan State because you have them all the time. Mm-hmm. They don't have guys like that typically, but Davis is that. So he's got that element. He's physically strong. He's very good athletically. And then his skill set is good. You mentioned the shooting numbers; those are good. They're not. He's not going out and shooting forty five percent from three. Was he thirty six? Yeah, it's a good number, solid number, especially for a high volume guy. It's a good number, but 
Um, it's not eye popping like, oh, my God. But the problem is because he can do that, you have to honor him as a jump shooter. And that opens up some of the other stuff that he can do. Mm. I just I don't think there's really a good way to guard him. And I think sometimes what's happened, and we're going to talk about this a little more when we get to the keys. I think teams, in my observation at least, have kind of tilted their defense toward, oh, we got to contain Johnny Davis. And I don't know that that's the best way to go because he's good enough that he can go through that. Mm -hmm. You can put two guys on him a lot of the time, and he's still going to score because he can do it in so, so many different ways that it's hard to limit him at this level. But if you if you do put that kind of attention on him, it also can open things up for other people. You know, he's a small forward essentially, and he's leading that team in assists. That's not an accident. Mm -hmm. That's because teams are tilting their coverage toward him, and he's making people pay while still finding ways to score at the same time. So you're not really containing him; you're just making it easier for his teammates mm -hmm. on some possessions. But a real, yeah, and leading the team in rebounding too. I mean, it's we've got two guys in the conference. You've got him, and then you've got Keegan Murray at Iowa, who, if Iowa were a little better, would be getting more talk. Um, he's still going to be, he's very much on track to be a first team all league guy. But these are two guys, very similar progressions where they were surprisingly effective players as freshmen. Both, by the way, I will also note outside of the top 100 recruit lists mm. from anybody. As far as I'm aware, not a single service had either of them in the top 100. So maybe a little bit surprising. There was one difference. I've talked about this on the Spartan Magwood before. Wisconsin fans were always adamant, as I recall, that Davis was a special player, despite the fact he wasn't a top 100 guy. So they knew the people who lived in that state and had seen him play knew that he was going to be something good. Mm -hmm. Murray, nobody saw coming. Iowa fans, I remember, were a little upset. They thought adding those those twins, the Murray twins, was nepotism because uh -huh. their father, of course, Kenyon Murray from Battle Creek Central, had played there. Well, that ended up being <laughs> completely wrong. But it's I can't think of another year like this where two guys who came in with very, very limited attention have by their sophomore you know, had similar progressions where they were surprisingly good rotation guys as freshmen and then as sophomores became all americans mm -hmm. just exploded but but as i say in part because he's been maybe a little bit better and in part because uh his team has been a lot better uh it's johnny davis who's getting the national player of the year talk oh and they're also both part of a twin set of twins that's another <laughs> commonality so kind of freaky mm -hmm. the only real difference is that they're you know murray's a little bigger He's like 6'8", and Davis is about 6'6". Six, six. Uh -huh. uh, so then you got Tyler Wall, 6'8", junior. Um, he's sort of blossomed into a starter this year. Uh, 11 points a game, 5.7 rebounds, 52 from the floor, 14 from three, but uh, 69 from the line. Yeah. Um, you could not draw up more of a prototypical guy to wear the Wisconsin jersey than Tyler Wall. Mm -hmm. Lightly recruited. In fact, I... I'm not positive of this. I'd have to go back and look. I want to say that he was a preferred walk-on maybe when he got there. Maybe yeah. not. He might have been a scholarship guy. But um, it, regardless, 
very little hype. And yet he forced his on a veteran team his first two years. He forced his way into the playing group, mm-hmm. which was a good sign, you know, and he did so by being a high motor hustle, try hard guy. Now, as a third year player, he's a starter. He's their power forward, and he's third on the team in scoring. He's been an effective rebounder, um, you know, a, a good player around the rim, and kind of that stereotypical clever Wisconsin finisher inside. Not a good jump shooter. That's the thing that's hurt them, and I think I think it does hurt them offensively. Yeah, Wisconsin is at their best usually, and and we've seen it a hundred times over the years, right? Where they've got some six nine, six ten not ultra athletic guy playing the four who can has the size to bang inside, but then he'll just step away from the rim and shoot jumpers and kill you. Mm-hmm. That is not wall. He has been a terrible three point shooter. So that's one limitation, but overall I think they've got to be very happy what they're getting out of him. Uh, and then at the five, Stephen Kroll, seven foot sophomore, um, sort of, Emerged as an uh, unspectacular group of Wisconsin bigs. Um, 8.8 points a game, 4.8 rebounds, 48 from the floor, 31 from 376 from the line. Unlike Wall, you can kind of see it with this guy. Mm -hmm. You know, the three-point shooting is not great yet, but you can see the potential at 31% his first year of serious minutes. You could see that the potential was there. For him to maybe over the next two years develop into that stereotypical Wisconsin stretch big, um, there are he's not putting up spectacular numbers, but they're solid. They're good enough. Mm. You know, again, we're used to them having guys. You know, uh, God, there, there's just so many of them: Mike Wilkinson, Brian Butch. Um, you know, more recently, obviously Frank Kaminsky is the classic example. But even you know, in recent years, Reavers and Potter. Mm-hmm. You know, they've had these guys who were just problems that you had to address every game. They don't quite have that, but they're they're getting enough. They're piecing it together, and Kroll is the first among equals in that group. Mm-hmm. But he, but I do think he has a potential as his career goes on to maybe be better than that. Uh, so then off the bench, you got Chris Vogt, a, a seven-foot transfer from Cincinnati, uh, 3.1 points a game, 3.6 rebounds, uh, 46 from the floor, 63 at the line in about 14 minutes. Yeah, not a stretch big, but I'll tell you what what he gives them is something that they don't have from anybody else on that roster. They, they basically got three guys who could play the five, and he's the one that brings – a serious physical presence. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a big kid. He's about 260. Uh, played at Cincinnati, so he's experienced. He knows who he is. He doesn't try to be anything other than what he is, which is a big body. You know, some rudimentary skill around the rim. He gets you a rebound here and there, but he's going to bang you. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's the main thing is he can just come in there, lay a body on people at both ends, and bring that presence that, that the other two guys, Kroll especially, doesn't. Kroll's more of a finesse guy despite his size. Mm-hmm. Vote isn't. 
Uh, and then Lauren Bowman, 6'1 freshman from Detroit, averaging 2.9 points a game, 40 from the floor, uh, 50 from three, and 38 at the line. You know, interesting guy. And I've gotten to see him play. I mean, I saw him play as far back as his freshman year of high school. He started out at Detroit Western and then uh, ended his career at Orchard Lake St. Mary. I saw him in high school. I saw him in AAU. We did a brief stint with the family a couple of years back. He was a freshman last year and ended up withdrawing from school for undisclosed family reasons. I actually suspected, okay, he's you're never going to see him in Wisconsin again, but mm-hmm. he has come back, and he's actually been a consistent role player for them. The, the main thing he's done for them thus far is obviously the three-point shooting. It's not huge volume, but I think he's like 10 for 20 on the year from three, so it's yeah. enough. It's enough where you've got you to worry about him. Um, I was not convinced that he did any one thing well enough to be a real player at the Big Ten level. I, I didn't see that. And I still wonder, I, I kind of half expect the bottom to fall out from that three-point shooting, at least somewhat. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's, you know, he's been effective for them in a role. And, you know, point guard body, but doesn't really have a point guard's game. Just, But that's not a disqualifier at Wisconsin uh, because they don't really require a point guard necessarily. So, um yeah, I mean, he's, he's been effective for them in a limited role. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Jacoby Neath, a 6'4 transfer from uh, Wake Forest. Um, 2.4 points a game in about 10 minutes. Um, shooting not so great, though. 29, 29, and 67. Yeah, I think they had, they had high hopes for him, and then he had some injury problems that kept him out of the lineup for a while. He's started to play more recently. Maybe the shooting comes around a little bit, but even if it doesn't, the thing he gives them is another wing with a little more size. You know, I mentioned Bowman's kind of a smaller player. Mm-hmm. Um, and and really, um, if you look at Hepburn and even Davison, they're not big guys. So to have a guy who's 6'4 and can play on the wing, even in limited minutes, is helpful yeah. from a matchup perspective. Uh, and then Ben Carlson, 6'9", sophomore, um, 1.6 points a game, just under two rebounds in nine minutes, um, 31 from the floor, hasn't uh, made any threes. Yeah, that's that's the disappointing thing. You know, he, he and Kroll came in together, and, and it was expected to be a battle between them for the starting spot, and mm-hmm. Kroll has definitively won it. And I think that's one of the re- – there are other reasons, too. He's bigger. Carlson's only about 6'9". But um, I think that, you know, when you're 0 for 11 on the season from three, that's a problem at Wisconsin because they, they want – and they've already got one guy in the rotation in boat who can't really shoot. Wall is struggling to shoot threes at the four. Mm. So there's just not a huge role for Carlson. He's playing, but that's going to be something that's going to hold him back a little bit. Yeah. Uh, and then um, the twin brother, Jordan Davis, um, 6'4", sophomore, 1.4 points a game, 6 minutes, uh, 50 from the floor, 46 from 3. Yeah, you know, limited volume, but he's given them, kind of like with Bowman, he's in enough games, he's given them a little boost as a shooter that, you know, he, they're, they're continuing to give him opportunities. Mm. He's not any, shown any, again, 
real parallels with Iowa. One, you know, there's there's a twin uh, at at Iowa, Chris Murray, who hasn't been nearly as productive. The, the one difference is that guy just had an explosion in a recent game for Iowa, where out of nowhere he popped off, I think, like 25 points, 29 points, something like that. Oh boy. Um, so you you have to hope that MSU doesn't get that kind of performance from the lesser Davis (laughs) in this game. But Uh, thus far, we haven't seen signs of that. uh Uh-huh. And then Carter Gilmore, uh, 6'7", sophomore walk-on. Doesn't play a ton, but gets in there uh, some. Yeah, and and this is, again, another from the Wisconsin assembly line template, you know. not a tremendously skilled guy, but good motor, some some size, physicality, kind of plays like a young Tyler Wall. And they're finding, despite the fact they've already got some decent depth, he keeps finding his way into some minutes here and there. I think he played seven minutes the other night against the other day against Northwestern. So mm-hmm. you I think we'll see him. Okay. Um so Rob the Keys rebounding. Number one after that Northwestern performance, there's but it's not just that. There's been a <laughs> string. Of, it's been a string of games. Yeah, yeah. Northwestern was just where it got to a culmination. Uh, we hope a culmination, and yet again, we are facing an opponent in Wisconsin that does not emphasize offensive rebounding. It's not just. It would be one thing if some of these teams you looked at and said, "Hey, they actually try to offensive rebound. They're just really bad at it." A lot of these teams, you know, Minnesota, Northwestern, Nebraska, strategically, they do not put an emphasis on it. Mm-hmm. Like Wisconsin, they put an emphasis on getting back and floor balance and cutting off your ability to get odd man, you know, fast break situations in transition. Um, when you are giving up offensive rebounds to teams like that, that is a problem. That is a real problem. And yet again, we are facing a team that strategically does not look to pound the offensive glass. But we also know now, until they demonstrate to us that it is no longer an issue, just saying that an opponent doesn't rebound well offensively is not a guarantee that they're not going to do so against MSU. I I would like to think that with the time off between that debacle against Northwestern and this game, that Michigan State will have done some things to change that. Mm-hmm. But they have to change it. They have to. This is not a great shooting team in Wisconsin. If you are giving them repeated multiple opportunities to score, you know, after you generate a miss, mm. that's that's a certain way to lose. Yeah, because the, the second key is turnovers, and we probably don't expect uh, to have any sort of margin on them there it would be very unusual yeah and and again this is this is the thing that's interesting to me uh and i understand it because it's an oft-repeated phenomenon but um most fans get hung up on things at the offensive end because Mm -hmm. it's easier to understand anybody can understand well that that guy didn't make that shot or anybody can understand that guy got called for a violation that gave the ball to the other team yeah, I'm not saying turnovers aren't a problem. They are. We talk about them every single game, right? I can't think of one we haven't talked about it this year. Um, 
But that said, the bigger problems by far, by far, for Michigan State are in rebounding and defense. And the reason I say that is history. Not just with this team, but Michigan State basketball under Tom Ezzo since he started. Turnovers can potentially sink you in an individual game. Mm. I'll go that far. But by and large, Michigan State under Izzo has been a high turnover team. This team has in some ways recently been worse than we typically see. But over the course of the season, it's not unheard of in the turnover numbers. They really aren't. Um, Where they have been getting into real trouble lately over the last two, three weeks has been in terms of the defense they're playing and the way they're rebounding, particularly on the defensive end. This team has demonstrated they can turn the ball over a lot and still win. Why? Because if they defend the way they're capable of defending, if they rebound the way they're capable of rebounding, and they shoot the ball the way they have most of the year, Mm. even with higher turnover numbers, that's still often enough to beat beat an opponent. It just is. So it's important, the turnover area. I think as we usually end up saying, you want to mitigate the gap. You know, if there's a 10 turnover gap, that's probably trouble. If it's five or six, maybe not, depending Mm -hmm. upon how you rebound. Um, But I think it has gotten disproportionate attention from fans and even some media. I've seen some coverage. I'm not going to name names, but I've seen some coverage this week that uh, suggested that this time it's different. No, it's not. <laughs> this time it's different. No, it's not. It's not. And and really, if you want to look and get to the core of what has been different lately, it isn't turnovers. It's not. It's defense and rebounding. I know that's harder for people to to grasp in some ways. It's and, and I'm not suggesting it's easy. Part of the problem with with defense is if you don't have re- a really, really good understanding of the the way in which a team has opted to employ their defensive principles in a certain game, you can't necessarily know as a fan where the problem was. You can look at things like field goal percentage, and that gives you an idea, well, you hit the other team, shot it really well, you probably didn't defend them very well. And oftentimes those things are going to correlate, but it's a harder thing to 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 grasp watching it if you don't if you're not really plugged in to what they're trying to do. Um, but I will tell you that there are some telltale signs that we have seen lately. You know where you see two defenders going to the same guy in pick and roll and leaving somebody open. Mm-hmm you can be pretty certain somebody blew an assignment. You don't necessarily know who, because it depends on how Michigan State decided to defend that kind of play. But you know somebody did. When you see guys getting beaten off the dribble continually and putting the defense in a bad spot because of that, forcing guys to come over, forcing things to collapse and contract, that's a problem that's fairly obvious. We've seen all those things recently. Mm-hmm. So that's 
That's where the problem is. If you have the big problem, turnovers matter. Yes. But as we always talk about, they really matter for Michigan state in the way that they're linked to a rebounding differential, because that is where historically Michigan state has made up for it. Mm -hmm. And, and it's just, I think there's also in the Michigan state fan base, there's this idea that somehow the idea of of turnovers of higher than average turnover numbers just shouldn't be tolerated and that that it's a sign of something a sign of coaching slippage or whatever it's really about prioritization mm-hmm. and i don't think this is an incorrect statement on my part or going too far i think it's just the truth tom Izzo has a higher tolerance for turnovers than he does poor defense or poor adherence to his defensive principles, the way he wants his team to defend things, Um, lack of effort and poor rebounding. Those things that I just mentioned are the things that if they are demonstrated repeatedly, will get you pulled Mm -hmm. turnovers, unless it's really excessive. I mean, really excessive typically don't. And that's just what he prioritizes. When John Beeline was at Michigan, it was the other way around. If you turn the ball over a couple possessions in a row, the hook was coming for sure. You could get blown by three or four times guarding somebody. You'd still be on the floor. Yeah. It's just about what you prioritize because you can't prioritize everything equally. It just doesn't happen that way. So there's my rant on turnovers. (laughs) Uh, So the third key is shooting. Yeah, um, you know, look, teams will have off days, and I thought Michigan State had a bit of an off day against Northwestern, and that will happen. I think we've seen enough basketball this year to know that on balance, this is a pretty good, certainly a pretty good three-point shooting team. Yeah, Maybe a little less so from two, um, but to win a game on the road, to win any game on the road in the Big Ten, you've usually got to play pretty well, right? Yeah. It's rare that you can go in and stink up the place and still win. Sometimes you can do that at home. On the road, very difficult to do that. So I don't think it's a stretch to say, hey, if you want to beat a team that's in the upper tier of the league right now in their building and they're playing well, you better hit some shots. So I think Michigan State's got to got to get back to hitting shots. Mm. Uh, and then transition. As we've already mentioned a few times, Standard issue Wisconsin basketball is get everybody back after a shot goes up. You don't even bother trying to get an offensive rebound. You worry about getting back and making sure Michigan State doesn't get anything easy in transition. They have done that historically over the last 20 years or so better than any program in the league. Purdue's been pretty good, but Wisconsin has been a league of their own, in my opinion. I expect them to do that again. It's also a program that's got a lot of continuity because Greg Gard's been there for all of that period I just mentioned. And even though it's a youngish team, um, there's enough there are enough veterans and there's enough institutional memory with the coaching staff, et cetera, that I, I don't expect we'll see a lot of mistakes. All that said, no team is few teams I should say are able to completely shut it off. There will be some opportunities, even if they're small in number, 
MSU's got to be efficient in taking advantage of the ones that get presented. Mm. And they got to try to push as best as possible to make those chances happen. Uh, and then everybody else. So kind of like the maybe the way they had to handle Carson Edwards or uh, how maybe like the Pistons would let Jordan get his and, and try to stop everyone else from, from hurting them and try to yeah. play him straight up. It's uh, well, the Pistons were a little because they had the Jordan rules, which was a little different than that. But Mm -hmm. but generally what you're getting at. Yes. Um, I think this and I mentioned it earlier and this I I don't know what way Michigan State's going to go. For all I know, they could go out there and have some kind of game plan that where they decide that um, they're going to they're going to try and just completely take Johnny Davis away. But I, I think that would be a mistake because I don't. I don't know that I believe that you can completely take him away. Mm. I'm not saying give in, but I would I would not expect to see gimmicky stuff. MSU like doesn't typically scheme. do that. Yeah. Yeah. They don't typically do that anyway. And I don't I don't think this is a situation where you want to see that because gimmicky stuff leaves you exposed. And I don't think that's I think you can beat Wisconsin if Johnny Davis gets twenty five. Mm-hmm. I think it's possible. I think it's possible to do that. I really do. Um, so I think to me, the key is you got to hold those other guys down. Johnny Davis gets 25. Okay. You want to make him earn it. You don't want him shooting 75% from the floor. You want him having to take his share of shots, you know, all that, but he gets his, okay, fine. You don't want Tyler wall going for 20. Uh-huh. You don't want Davison going for 22, you know, uh, you don't want Kroll putting up 15. You've got to hold those guys down, make those guys really, really have to earn whatever they get. Mm. Um, I think that's the key to beating this team because my feeling, and it was honestly the main reason I didn't think that they were going to be great this year is I didn't see a lot of offensive firepower. Now, Davis has changed that equation because he's he's given them one thing. I thought he would be their leading scorer. I just didn't see this. I figured uh, his production would be more like what we've seen maybe from Davison. You know, 15 a game, I would have bought that. I wouldn't have expected what we've seen. So he has given them something I didn't see coming, which was a true go-to, can get it against anybody score. But the rest of the roster... I haven't seen anything that's really changed my mind about that. I think offensively, the supporting cast is not spectacular. Mm. So I want you hold those guys down. I think you got an okay, you got an okay chance to pull it off. You know, it's look, it's going to be tough, man. You play, you play a team that's that's been playing very well and is at the top of the conference in their building, in a building that's historically tough for MSU to get a win anyway. They haven't gotten a ton of them over the years in Cole. Um, you know, it's a challenge under the best of circumstances, but I think there's an opportunity here. I really do. If Michigan State plays well. Do you think, um, who do you think draws the defensive assignment on him? Or do you think they kind of switch it off a lot? I think it's going to switch. I think it's going to switch. I mean, it's the, the, the natural tendency would be to say, well, Max Christie's probably been your best defensive player. Among the wings, and I wouldn't be surprised if he started on him. 
Um, you know, but it'll be interesting because if he starts on him, you know, then what do they do with the guards? I, I could see a scenario where they switched it up and maybe they had Gabe guarding Chucky Hepburn to start, mm-hmm. figuring that Walker would be a better assignment on Davison. Brown guarding Davison would be interesting. Um, you know, I don't know. I think there's going to be, getting back to your question, I would guess Christie starts, but I would think we'll see Brown, maybe Jaden Akins, although you're giving up some size there. I would say probably more often as I think about it, a combination of Christie, Brown, and probably some Malik Hall. Because mm-hmm. you could... You could get away with maybe in certain lineups, you could have Brown guarding Tyler Wall, let's say, and have Malik guarding Davis. Yeah. that That's yeah. kind of the open question with this team that I don't think, at least with other with past teams, that just hasn't quite been there. Someone who can lock down on guys like this, like the Aaron Henrys or the McQuaids, how they yeah. kind of came into that role. Yep. Uh, it's a fair point. Um, that's why I say Christie's – the first name that comes to mind because I think he's been the most consistent, but you are right. They, as of yet have not, I actually think the guy who probably is possession to possession, best equipped to do a job on a guy like Davis is hey, hall hall. Huh. Yeah. Cause he's got the best combination of size, strength and mobility, mm-hmm. but he hasn't proven what Aaron Henry had. Yeah. You know, he hasn't done that or McQuaid or you're right. They don't have that designated guy. I think when this team was going well defensively, it was, it was because of two things. It was because they had a guy who really eliminated a lot of stuff around the rim and not just through shot blocking, but just in general in Bingham. And he's got to get back to that. And then beyond that, just solid team concepts where guys weren't You didn't see a lot of blown assignments. You didn't see a lot of open looks being given up. Nobody was out there shutting people down per se, as you're talking about, Mm. but it worked as a, as a a group in combination, you know? Um, So it's, it, it is something they don't have, but again, I don't know that I believe that you need it. Mm-hmm. to beat this team you you've got to do enough to make davis work but beyond that I, I don't and and i could eat my words on friday night but i don't think going into this my mindset is not man they gotta find a way to limit johnny davis yeah i think it's you got to find a way to limit the rest of wisconsin make johnny davis work for what he gets but you know there's a path to beating Wisconsin if Johnny Davis gets 25. I don't know if there's a path to beating Wisconsin if some of these other guys get off for four or five points more than they average. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, uh, this one's Friday, 9 o'clock. Uh, any final thoughts heading into this one? Um, You know, it's an important game for sure. I mean, anytime you're playing a team that's right with you at the top of the standings, and and the other thing is, which we haven't really even gotten into yet, is this is really the first game Michigan State has played yet in the conference against a quote-unquote good team. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think Minnesota, Northwestern, and even Penn State are 
quality opponents. They're not bad teams. The way Nebraska is clearly, or the way Maryland has been this year. They're not that, but they're not, none of them are, are teams that are going to be contenders probably for even much more than a, you know, a seventh or eighth place finish if things go really well, and maybe mm-hmm. not even that. So this is a step up in quality for Michigan state coming at a time where, you know, their quality of play has not been very good. So it's, it's, it's a challenge in that respect is can they get back to doing the things, particularly on the defensive end and on the boards that they were doing earlier this year when they were, you know, pretty impressive. Mm -hmm. That's the key. You get those two things dialed back in. Hey, I think everything else is going to be there. Um, But you need those things if you're going to beat a team the quality of Wisconsin, because this is a step up. You know, now we're seeing a team that fits more closely with what MSU saw at Atlantis. Yeah. yeah. Or what they saw from Kansas, you know, we're Loyola. Um, You know, we're we're getting we're getting back to that caliber of opponent. And it's been a while. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it it certainly has. (laughs) I mean, the last the last high major team that you could see maybe with a chance at the tournament. And I don't know how good their chances are anymore was Louisville. And that's like six weeks ago. Yeah. You know, so it's been a long time ever since then. It's been, you know, some good teams. Oakland's a good team. They're unbeaten in their league. They're, you know, they're on track. If they can win their conference tournament, like they got a decent shot of being a tournament team. Um, but you know, the big 10 opposition has not been, high caliber thus far so just that level alone for put aside the fact that it's on the road and all that mm-hmm. just you're playing a high caliber opponent in their building that's that's a challenge and then you know again it's a challenge too because michigan state is trying to find itself yeah okay well this will be a good test uh we'll see everyone after the game on friday until next time the final four is not on the schedule <laughs> At Granger, we're for the ones who pay attention to every little detail. The ones who fuss, tinker, and sweat the small stuff. Because you know the tiniest thing can make the biggest difference when it comes to keeping business moving. We get it. We're the same way. Offering access to product experts to help you quickly and easily find what you need. So whatever your industry, you know you're always getting professional-grade products. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.